Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss lore of the Legend of Zelda video game series. I'm Crystal, and with me today is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Oh, I'm excited about this one. Why are you excited about this one, Cameron? Because Wind Waker is not only a very fun game, but it has a lot that bears talking about. That's true. Today we are talking about the Legend of Zelda, the Baton of Winds, also known as the Wind Waker. Which of those names do you prefer? Uh, well, I always prefer transliterating J- the Japanese title. Why? It's because it, I'm an otaku. Oh. <laughs> I like how it sounds in Japanese. I think it was Kaze no Takt. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think I still prefer Wind Waker to Baton of Winds, though. Okay, well. Baton just... That's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, ac- that's an accurate statement. Baton doesn't sound grandiose enough for a title. What would you transliterate it as? I probably not baton of winds. I probably wouldn't transliterate it at all. Baton the just conductor's wand of winds. Baton just kind of you know sounds goofy for a title. Ah, uh, I don't know if it sounds goofy. Okay, but it's uh, I, I this game is a sequel to the Legend of Zelda: The Ocarina of Time. It is the second of three sequels to that game. Yeah, accurate. Um, following off from Majora's Mask being a literal direct sequel. Though, this is also the first game that depends on the events of Ocarina of Time really concretely. Yeah, you could say that. We we spend a couple of months on the spin-offs, oh. and now we're back into the main series, directed by Eiji Anuma. Yeah, spin-offs and main series. And while all those spin-offs uh, kind of serve to make the world wider and history longer... The next couple main games are mostly concerned with very specific characters and really one specific character in particular, which is Mandragon and Dwarf Dragmire. Jesus fuck <laughs> hell. That He plays an important role in both this game and the next sequel to Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess. But I would say most of his characterization comes in this game. Yeah, the version of Ganon that we get in this game is very different from the version that we got in Ocarina of Time. And Twilight Princess is different again, but it's in a way that a lot of people don't find quite as engaging. When people think of Ganon's character, I think they usually think of this one for the human human form. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, this is the old sad Ganon. <laughs> this is the Ganon that everyone uh, tries to entertain the idea that perhaps he's not all evil. This is the Ganon that every video game protagonist is these days, such as Kratos from God of War or Joel from The Last of Us. Would you say that Joel and Kratos are a lot like Ganon? Because those guys are assholes, but mm, actually Kratos right. might be. <laughs> okay. I, I think the thing is that now, Kratos, what are you saying? Kratos and Joel have more legitimate grievances than Ganon does and make up their... You know what? We'll get to it. Okay. How should we start talking about this game? Um, well... How about with the prologue? Oh, about the prologue? Yeah, do you have the prologue pulled up? I do have the prologue pulled up. Both? Yeah. Every- I'm reading from a uh, transcript written by hand by one RPG1377 on the IGN facts page. Let me link it to you. Why? Why? There's also the Zelda Wikia. 
I mean, I have a text dump too to verify anything in here. Yeah. Well, yeah. We we've got I think this is useful because it's chronologically ordered and stuff. Okay. We've we've got the Zelda Legends uh, text dump pull up. Which which one are you using? Okay. Yeah. I'm also using Zelda Legends. Okay. Okay. This is but one of the legends of which the people speak. Long ago, there existed a kingdom where a golden power lay hidden. It was a prosperous land blessed with green forests, tall mountains, and peace. But one day, a man of great evil found the golden power and took it for himself. With its strength at his command, he spread darkness across the kingdom. But then, when all hope had died, and the hour of doom seemed at hand, a young boy clothed in green appeared as if from nowhere. Wielding the blade of evil's bane, he sealed the dark one away and gave the land light. This boy, who traveled through time to save the land, was known as the Hero of Time. The boy's tale was passed down through generations until it became legend. But then, a day came when a fell wind began to blow across the kingdom. The great evil that all thought had been forever sealed away by the hero once again crept forth from the depths of the earth, eager to resume its dark designs. The people believed that the hero of time would again come to save them, but the hero did not appear. Faced by an onslaught of evil, the people could do nothing but appeal to the gods. In their last hours, as doom drew nigh, they left the future in the hands of fate. What became of that kingdom? None remain who know. The memory of the kingdom vanished, but its legend survive on the wind's breath. On a certain island, it became customary to garb boys in green when they came of age. Clothed in the green of fields, they aspired to find heroic blades and cast down evil. The elders wished only for the youths to know courage like the hero of legend. So. So. This is an interesting bit. It appears in the first part to be discussing the events of Ocarina of Time. Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering last night when that reference actually came up. And it's it's right in the prologue with the Hero of Time. Yeah, you don't get much more concrete than actually calling out the title of the hero of that particular game. And I think this might be the first time since Zelda 2 where it's this explicit about being directly tied to the events of a past game. Sure, yeah, I'd say that. There's an interesting little bit here that comes up again and again throughout the course of the series, in that when Ganondorf was sealed away at the end of Ocarina of Time, he was in the Sacred Realm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because here, in the legend describing Ganon's return, he is said to have crept forth from the depths of the earth. Hmm which is sort of an ongoing motif in the series after this, the idea of evil coming up out of the ground. Do you think the sacred realm was Yeah, they mm-hmm. in the Go ground? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that it's in the ground. I'm saying that they don't really have the language to describe what's going on with the sacred realm because it's sort of a parallel reality that exists very close to where Hyrule is. But it's often described as being geographically concrete compared to everything else. So instead of saying that Ganon came from another world, and it's never referred to as Ganon during this legend. I'm just doing that for simplicity's sake. Instead of saying that Ganon came from another world, they describe Ganon as coming from beneath the ground, which sets a precedent for how they talk about the underworld in later games in the series. 
particularly in Skyward Sword, where Demise and the Demon Tribe come from the Earth. Yes, particularly in that one. Though I think it may have also come up in Spirit Tracks, where Maladus is sealed within the ground by the uh, Spirit Tracks themselves. Yeah. I was going to say this uh, doesn't give a whole lot of detail of how Ganon broke out. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's just kind of assume that the seal weakened over time or what 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 happens yeah the the great evil that all thought had been forever sealed away by the hero once again crept forth from the depths of the earth and that seems to just imply that well the seal stopped working as well as it could have ganon also turns from a a man of great evil earlier on to an an it a great evil Oh, that's a good catch Where, where are you looking Oh, well, yeah, I got that part, but you, you keep looking To up. resume its dark designs oh, yeah. instead of his. I wonder if the Japanese version of the text did that same thing, because if we're just reading it in English, that's a lot of... Uh, it, it speaks to the transformative aspect, not necessarily in Ganon himself, but in how Ganon was viewed in the storytelling thereafter, which comes into play pretty early in this game when they referred him, actually. Crystal, how long do you... Th- in the illustrations, Ganon's also pretty firmly a, a pig monster and not a man. Yeah, he's a big, scary beastie. How long do y'all think the gap between the ending of Ocarina of Time and the backstory of Wind Waker is? Generations. So the boy's tale was passed down through generations until it became legend, which I'd say at least four. <laughs> so you're saying at least a hundred years? Yes. Jesus Christ. What about you, Crystal? Now, we do have to reconcile that with the fact that this game takes place but a mere 100 years after Ocarina of Time. Listen, we're not going to go with extra textual horse shit for this one. We've managed to avoid it up to now, and we're going to continue avoiding it. Okay, we'll assume centuries plural. It It has been a while. We're not getting into that just yet. We're not getting into the gap between the backstory of Wind Waker versus the present of Wind Waker. Just when Ganon is sealed versus when Ganon is released. Yeah. Generations, let's say like one to two hundred years. It's been a while. And it's interesting because the people believe that the hero of time would still return to fight Ganon. Well, he's a time-traveling hero, so... Theoretically, he could appear at any time. So he's sort of become a, an eternal heroic figure to the people who didn't actually know what happened to him. Yeah. And the hero did not appear because he was no longer there and had been sent back to his own time by the Princess Zelda. Well, he actually didn't. Yeah, ap- I mean, from the perspective of the average person in the adult timeline of Ocarina of Time, Link even then just kind of came out of nowhere. True, and disappeared back to nowhere. I'm surprised, yeah. though, that in this in this legend, he's remembered as a young boy. I mean, 17 is still really young by my reckoning, but, you know, um, clearly that they they remember him as the, the younger form since the, the kids at Outset yeah. get dressed up in green, you know, when they reach about the 10-ish, 13-ish age. I'd call a 17-year-old the boy. Well, yes, but that's because we're all old now. (laughs) Not so much you. You're still a baby. But yeah, at 17, being a boy is about right. But it it, should we just start in on where the game actually begins? Sure. Okay. 
So okay, actually, can we talk about one more part of this intro? Sure. There's a line that kind of sticks out to me. Uh-huh. Uh, they aspire to find heroic blades and cast down evil. Hell yeah! <laughs> what does that mean? It, What's where are the heroic blades? I think it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Kids get their special birthday outfit and they go out and pretend to be the hero from legend. But, like, they're not being given blades. They are going out and finding heroic blades. As one does. Well, there's one particular heroic blade I guess they're looking for. Well, not actively looking, but, you know, thinking of. The Blade of Evil's Bane. But could you read this as saying, establishing perhaps a class of heroic blades, which includes not only the Master Sword, but also the Four Sword? Well, I think it... mm, No, I think that more this is just no? about the specifics of the Master Sword, like the specifics of a lot. The, the Wind Waker takes place in a time in which the name and symbology and peoples of Hyrule have been utterly forgotten. And I think the Master Sword is just one of those pieces that's been forgotten. So the sword that seals the darkness may not be understood to be a single sword. Okay. That's just how I see it. Though, there is actually one line here that I also wanted to talk about. Um, And it's those last two sentences. Clothed in the green of fields, they aspired to find heroic blades and cast down evil. The elders wished only for the youths to know courage, like the hero of legend. And that sentence is interesting to me, because it's the first line in the game that indicates the generational conflict that's sort of core to the story of the Wind Waker. And it's the first indication that this story is partially about how the wishes and aims of our elders can fail us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because when... The- it's a bold take for something that's still relatively early in the series. It's true. But at the same time... It's an interesting line, don't you think, that the elders wish for the youths to know courage like the hero of legend, but not for them to seek to explore and to throw themselves against the forces of darkness and oppression. In that case, to what end courage? To what end having them emulate the hero? Pig wrangling. God damn it. Yeah, okay, pig wrangling. Yeah, we'll go with that for right now. We'll come back to this, though. <laughs> this is an important. Okay. This is important later. You think Link Pig Wrangling on Outset Island is a metaphor for fighting Ganon? Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I wish you could hear the smoke coming out of my fucking ears. <laughs> I get... Uh, yeah. Th- okay, so the game begins as it often does with Link waking up. He's super asleep. It begins with Link's awakening. Uh, eh, okay, so Link wakes up... Uh, but it, 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 Link... Waking up is actually the second thing that begins. The first thing that happens, the first character that we really see is Link's little sister. That's true. And she's looking for Link. And she runs around the whole island looking around her little telescope. And she's like the cutest child character ever designed in a video game. And since she knows her big brother, she is this the first time Link has ever had family? He's an uncle. Like, imme- I know, Link's uncle. Immediate family. Immediate family. Yes. Yes, like, certainly the first time he's had a sister. Yeah, it's like the first time he's ever had uh, a like immediate blood relative, especially another person who would have theoretically known his parents 
in the same capacity he would have. And it's it's almost it's sort of shocking in a sense because in spite of the fact that this is the first time that Link has a sibling and the second time that Link has had uh, blood relatives taking care of him, we once again never hear anything about where Link comes from or why his parents aren't around or anything like that. Cause it's probably the most firmly established a Link has ever been in the world. Because it's not like Twilight Princess or Skyward Sword where he's just kind of there and doesn't have any relatives at all. And it's not like Ocarina where he's, you know, some kind of outsider. Here he's just a member of this community. Yeah, accurate. Yeah, that's definitely true. And uh, it's just interesting. Like, it, it creates a different sense of who he is and his place and things. The fact that his sister is here. And, okay, 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 okay. So she goes out, and since she knows her big brother, she goes out and she finds his favorite napping spot, which is the highest tower on the beach. I don't know why it's not higher up, like on the mountain or something, so you can see in more directions off the island, but this is a tower that's on the beach, and he's asleep in the shade of the tower, and she finds him there, and she wakes him up, and he's just a big sleepy piece of crap at the start of this game, like in so many Zelda games. And it's his birthday. And it's his birthday. And it's a very small island where each person seems to have relatively few personal possessions. So instead of being given a more permanent gift, Link's sister... I have spent this entire time without using her name. I think I may have fucking forgotten it. Errol. 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 I was thinking Arale for some fucking reason. I'm stuck in Dr. Slump mode now. But, uh... Errol opts to lend Link her spyglass or her telescope for uh, just for a day, but it is the most precious thing she owns. And it's actually like ridiculously valuable because not a ton of people have these. It might be the only one on the island now that I think of it. And she's like, here. Yeah, it's like bottles. Yeah, it's like bottles. It's like you would think there'd be more of them, but there's not. Glass works in Hyrule are not as commonplace as they should be. Or on the ocean. Or on the ocean. So, you're like, here, take this, and happy birthday, now go talk to Grandma, because Grandma has a thing for you. And Link, being who he is, uh, either goes to talk to his grandmother, or stops and talks to literally every single person on the island, (laughs) except for his grandmother, before going and talking to his grandma. And I really like Outset Island. Of all the... Well, I mean, you have to talk to the NPCs. Yeah, you've got... If you miss dialogue. Yeah. You're you are being ironic, but that's Monica for real. That's me for real. Oh, okay. Well, kindred spirits. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. What if the dialogue changes after you meet Link's grandma? Then you miss it. You miss it forever. It just happens. A lot of the dialogue that you get from this is mostly people telling you to go find your grandma. I think it's been a while. Yeah, because Link was out drunk all night and fell asleep in the lookout. Yeah. Because wait, drunk on what? Pig milk? Seawater. You okay, yeah, that would be a real bad fucking hangover you get from seawater. You ever read uh-huh. you ever read any Tin Tin comics? I've never read any Tin Tin comics. There's a sequence in a Tin Tin comic where Tin Tin and uh, a couple of other characters are adrift at sea and Tin Tin talks about how when you're super thirsty you can just sip a little bit of seawater and for some reason, that made my hair stand on end when I read it, because I'm pretty sure that's not real. No, that will that will dehydrate you. It might kill you. Uh-huh. 
Don't do that. Don't drink seawater. Don't drink seawater. That's the official Book of Medora stance on seawater, re-drinking it. Don't. Back to Outset. Yeah, Outset. Uh, I think Outset might actually be... I'm not sure if it's my favorite home location in the Zelda series, but it definitely stood out at the time and for several entries afterward for how much personality it had and how much it felt like a place and a small community. It feels so happy and colorful. It's definitely one of the best um, tutorial places you get because the villagers still do teach you different button actions, but it's not... Not very forced, not very obtrusive. So it's kind of got the Kokiri forest thing going for it, where you run over and you talk to a guy who's hiding in the grass and he teaches you how to sneak up on pigs. And everybody looks really distinctive. Yeah, they do. All the designs for everyone living on the island are extremely different, except for the two kids. And even they look pretty different because one of them has a uh, snot drip that's bigger than he is. I hate that kid. He's great. He's the worst. You don't He's like the his worst. Not drip physics? No, somebody should wipe his fucking nose. Do you think the inhabitants of Outset are... I mean, there's signs that they're connected to Hyrule. The Outset inhabitants? Yes. Oh, what signs are you talking about? Um, four points. Firstly, that they dress up their, their kids when they come of age in the hero's tunic. Okay. Uh, secondly, that on their doors is an upside-down Triforce design. Oh, oh shit, yeah. Um, thirdly, Orca and Sturgeon, the, the the brainy one, are both swordsmen. You don't really know about Sturgeon being one, I think, until you check his figurine. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, finally, the shield that Link gets, that is described as the family shield, but also as the hero's shield, Said to have been used by the hero himself. Huh, that would do it. Yeah, I think these are all the descendants of the Knights of Hyrule. Oh, okay, yeah. that's That does make a certain amount of sense. I'm going to pull up Sturgeon's uh, listing for his figurine here. Uh, see now. Sturgeon, birthplace, Outset Island. Personality, extremely serious. Known as Outset's living encyclopedia, Sturgeon is quite wise, boasting an abnormally high IQ. He has extremely sensitive nerves, quite the opposite of his younger brother, Orca, who lives downstairs. Surprisingly, Sturgeon wasn't a... Okay, hold on. Hmm? Hold on, hold yeah. on, hold on. Okay. So intelligence quotients exist in Zelda? <laughs> I think that they're treated sort of like... Um, I think that partially this might just be a relic of the translation, but I think maybe IQ, okay. IQs are treated about as seriously as blood tests would be. Because Sturgeon is like, oh, he has a super high IQ, but he's also an absent-minded goofus who is completely useless in most situations. He made very good guys to check on his test. Yeah, nobody takes IQ tests. I, I think that it's like... It's just another way of saying he's book smart. He reads lots of books. But continue on with the... Okay. The last sentence is, Surprisingly, Sturgeon was an accomplished swordsman in his youth. Which implies a few things. Sturgeon's the older brother, if I'm remembering. He's the older, more self-serious brother. And he looks at Orca as being relatively feckless. Because he focuses solely on his body as opposed to trying to better his mind. 
and that's uh, it implies certain things about their past that Sturgeon used to be a good swordsman, but now Orca's like a world class swordsman, and Sturgeon's head is so big and his arms are so tiny he probably can't lift a sword at all. That's one of my favorite things about Wind Waker is. One of the things that they talk about in the Awada Asks for Wind Waker HD is that this art style makes it so that no matter how stubby the legs are or how huge the head is, you can make it look pretty natural if you bend the designs just a little bit. And Sturgeon kind of takes that to the ultimate extreme because his head is bigger than the entire rest of his body by an order of magnitude. And I just like it. I like how he's all silly looking with his big head. And it implies that his head got bigger as he got older. Because of the IQ. Because of the IQ. Got bigger as he read more books. Yeah. As his IQ shot up and he kept taking more tests, every test he just shoved inside of his skull and his skull kept getting bigger. Do you think that S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually the Hero of Time's S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, I don't think so. We'll, 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 we'll get to it, but no, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's the... I don't think it's either the Kokiri S.H.I.E.L.D. nor the Hylian S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, it's definitely not the Kokiri S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, for multiple reasons, but I also think it's not the Hylian S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't think so either. So they, they're misremembering. Yeah, well, that's just one of the... Oh, no, they lied. <laughs> lied? Someone someone sold that to them. Sold that to this... This is the hero shield. Sold that to this island full of people descended from the Knights of Hyrule. No, it was passed down the whole time. From before, even. No, so, so, like, one generation after the hero... Link's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma <laughs> bought that. I, at the market. I, I, I guess. Oh, uh, I guess so. And then it became a family heirloom. Uh, all right. Uh huh. Sure. I don't see why this wouldn't make any sense. So after running around and picking up pigs and throwing them in water and swimming around with the pigs and jumping on top of rocks and running away from little snot-nosed kid who follows you around way too closely, get the hell out of here, snot-nosed kid, and wipe your nose. Uh, and there's a cute girl with the vase on her head. Oh, yeah, I like her. She's got a good design, and she's always carrying that water. Isn't she related to someone on another island? I can't remember. She knows your grandmother. Um, damn it. Should have done more research. But anyway, so Link finally goes and talks to his grandma. And his grandma is the cutest, most grandma-looking character you ever seen in your whole life. She's like condensed grandma made into a single person. She's good grandma. She actually kind of looks like my grandma, which is a little bit funny. Huh? Yeah, she looks exactly like Monica's grandma, actually. It's startling. And that creates the uh, emotional payload that Link's grandma has for Monica by a factor of several times over. But anyway, so Link's grandma is like, okay, it's time for your birthday. Now, you've been waiting all day and you've been very good. So here's your present. And she gives him this set of green clothes, the hero's clothes. And Link doesn't like these fucking clothes. They look itchy and way too hot for this weather. And she's like, now I know you're not excited about it, but it's part of the tradition, so go put them on. And he puts on the clothes, and Grandma's like, oh, you look so good, you're like a little hero and whatnot. And that's pretty much all there is for the explanation for why Link is running around in green clothes. But I actually like it quite a bit. It's the first time uh, that a Zelda game has talked about Link's tunic without trying to be a new origin for Link's tunic. What was the origin story given in Twilight? Um, 
I think it's actually the same as it was here, that it's just the hero's clothes. Okay. And those were granted to him when he's transformed by a light spirit from a wolf to a person. Magically wearing them. Magically wearing them. Okay. Because otherwise he would have been naked, I guess. But yeah, it, it just makes me think that in Ocarina of Time, we get the explanation that the hero's tunic is based on the Kokiri clothes. And I think in Minish Cap, it's based on the Pikari style of dress. No. No? I don't think so. That was just the hat. Well, they, they all wear green. Do they? Yeah, all the Pikari wear green, I think. Don't they? No. No? Oh, I'm a fool That's then. Nice. I'm a fool who needs to play. Oh, are we pulling up pictures of Popoa? Yes. Okay, are you going to send that to Crystal? Just a second. Okay, hold on. Well, anyway. We'll... And of course, Skyward Sword posits that Link's tunic was of the bird knight's yes. uniform. And that also makes its own breed of sense, I guess. It's, I guess it's sort of like, what do you call it when you get similar evolutionary traits that are arrived at by completely different means? Convergent evolution. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, instances of convergent evolution, but for Link's tunic. Oh my god, that's Link's grandmother. Yeah, that's just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see it, right? Uh-huh. Oh, man, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the art of Link's grandma from Wind Waker HD, and yeah, it's pretty close. You really picked the right one with her in that red vest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've pulled up the theory about Link's grandma over here, Crystal. Y- yeah, the theory. So Lenzo, the pictograph uh, shop owner over at Windfall Islands, says he had a previous relationship with a young woman in Outset and concludes that she was no longer as young as she once was. And Link's grandma is the closest to Lenzo's age, which implies that she and Lenzo uh, perhaps once had a relationship, and perhaps that Lenzo is Link's grandfather. That's, well, I mean, okay, why the hell not? Monica, do you know I think many... it's definitely <laughs> referring to Link's grandma when, when Lenzo talks about that beautiful woman, but um, I don't. I don't recall the relationship part. Can uh-huh. you find that line? Oh, I, I remember it. Oh. Uh, give me just a second. Um, this is a pic... I'm, I'm, I guess we could... We're going to do this now, talk about Lenzo a little bit, because it's more about talking about Link's grandma. You find a picture of Outset Island in the house of a photographer, and when you examine it, the photographer tells you this. This is a pictograph of a place I once visited. I like the word pictograph as opposed to photograph. Isn't it a finely snapped shot? I took it in my younger days. It is Outset Island. It is the most delightful of fishing villages. We need to remember this. Fishing villages. Innocent and rich with nature's bounty. It was there that I met a beautiful young lass. Although I suppose she is probably not as young as she used to be these days. That's it. Yeah, that's... It's, oh, okay. Yeah, Link, Link's grandmother is the only person, uh, the only woman of any sort of age on the island. So, yeah, it would make a certain amount of sense if Flinzo was talking about Link's grandma. But that doesn't hint at a relationship, really, just that she caught his fancy. Well, I mean, 
I met a beautiful young lass does have a certain uh, cultural couching. Does it? I I think so. I mean, it doesn't mean that there was a relationship, but it creates the possibility space where it could have happened. And that's why uh, we have an entry on the wikia.com slash wiki slash Link's grandma hashtag theory about uh, Lenzo possibly being Link's grandpa. Uh, I love. Sure. Yeah. Why the fuck not? This is silly. The important thing is that Link's grandma is the best. And it creates... She specifically, in giving Link the outfit that he doesn't like and having him wear it anyway, it's clear that the tradition of being super into pretending to be the hero isn't something that Link shares. He's not big into the idea of running around the island in these hot-looking clothes, which has a shirt and then another layer of clothing on top of it and that doesn't seem very fun i like the no he just wants to laze around all day in his in his lobster shirt yeah i like the new game plus version where you know you get to keep the blue shirt (laughs) and there's actually um an entry i just uh noticed that in just a couple of minutes earlier but it's it's not described as a lobster design it's actually described as a crawfish design by someone, because it's in the text dump. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody calls it a lobster shirt. I mean, it looks like a lobster, but crawfish are basically little lobsters anyway. Yeah. Yeah, lobsters and crawdads are the same thing. Where are you from, Crystal? Ohio. Okay, I guess you probably would call them crawdads. We call them crawdads up here. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, we call them crawfish where I'm from. Oh, man, I could go for some fucking crawfish. But this is the first um, blue, clearly blue tunic outfit. Oh. Well, not first, but, you know, it, the Breath of the Wild one really, I feel, is a callback to this. Do you think? Is it? Is that this? Oh, for sure. Is that the same color blue? Roughly. Huh. Aonima yeah, clearly likes it. Close enough. Okay, yeah. It is a very nice color of blue, sort of a sky blue, deeper than sky blue sometimes. But yeah. Okay, I can see that. So this this outfit right here is the precursor to the champion's tunic. Yeah. Yeah, inspired by the hero of legend. Cool. Link of Outset. Link of Outset, <laughs> yes. Uh, so Link is instructed by his grandmother to go show his clothes to Errol. And Link, once again, runs around and talks to everyone on the island except for Errol. And they do have different things for him to do. And he can collect pigs and take them over to this lady who's designed to look sort of like a pig. And she's very happy to get all of her pigs back together. And she gives Link money. And she gives him a lot of money, actually. I think she ends up giving you something like 40 or 50 rupees. Which is weird because it implies that there's a thriving economy on Outset Island in spite of the fact that there's no shop. Uh, Well, you know, there's inner island trade. Beetle's got his... his That's right. Beetle's ship is there, yeah. Yeah, Beetle's around. But it is funny... We said we'd get back to it, but the island being described as a fishing village. Yes. The fishing village aspect is doubly interesting because Orca's house is actually full of... uh, It does have some fish bones in it, if I remember. There's a very large fish skeleton against his back wall. And Outset doesn't seem to have any crops or anything. And if it's described as a fishing village, then it must well get most of its food from fishing, right? Right. Except nowhere else in the Great Sea seems to be able to subsist on fishing. There's no fish. In most of it. In most of it. 
Supposedly. Supposedly. Except for the Wait, fishmen. Where are you getting this? This okay. is actually near the very end of the game. This this is uh th- there's two separate places that this is from. Um Okay. The pla- the one of them is Ganondorf describes the sea as cursed and unable to support fish. Another one okay. is let me see here. Um It's for why the Rito I guess evolved or returned into the Rito. Give me just a second and I will find this. There's let's see. It t- turns out that in a game with no fish in it, the word fish comes up a few times in the Wind Waker script. Um there's the fishmen. Yeah, the fishmen, of course. But we just noticed that there was the big catch flag too. So clearly, there's people fishing. Yeah. Well, no. It. They said that the that flag came from a faraway land. Oh. Let's see. They know what an what a fish is. See if Shaolin think looks like a fish. Don't throw bait out for it. Um. Okay. Um. Uh, I'm, I'm see a line. They don't know who it's from. But it says, "Let me ask you something real quick. Who wanders around on the fishless sea?" I'll tell you who, bub, only pirates, monsters, and treasure hunters like ourselves. Oh, it's the the really cute people with the uh, helmets on the submarine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. That's, that's fishless sea. A fishless sea. Yep. So a significant part. They are vast seas. None can swim across them. They yield no fish to catch. Yeah, that's Ganondorf, I think. Yes. Yeah. So there's two instances of people describing the Great Sea as not being able to support fish. But we know that further away, fishing does still exist culturally, and that the fishmen are able to subsist in this ocean, and there's evil magic sharks everywhere. And Outset is apparently far enough outside of the normal spot of the Great Sea that it can support a village through fishing. So it and there's the fishmen, of course. Well, yeah, the fishmen they they swim around and they and there's fish bait. Well, it's general bait. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's general bait. Pigs eat it too, and what do the gulls eat? Hayoi pears. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What What do you think a fish man tastes like? How? What a horrible thing to ask. Why would you ever eat something that can talk? I, 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 no. We're We're putting that one to bed, Crystal. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. Okay. Bad. Okay. They're probably inedible. They probably explode into smoke the instant right. you kill them. Like arrows are are massage okay. tools for them. Oh yeah, they're tough as shit, aren't they? Cameron, we've been recording for over forty five <laughs> minutes. We need to get off this island. Do we? Because I mean, I'm having fun. This is just going to be a fifteen episode series okay, we about. Talk more about Outset Island. We'll be finished. We can make this a ten part series. Yeah, we'll be finished with uh, the Wind Waker sometime in June. Uh, we'll see you all next episode. <laughs> and, uh, okay, okay, okay. So Link goes back, and but I feel like we've also done pretty good at getting through some lore parts that will allow us to go a bit more smoothly later on. Um, sure. So Link goes out and shows his clothes to Errol, and Errol's like, wow, those look way too hot for you to just be running around in them like that. But anyway, oh, this is the part where she actually lends him the telescope. And she's like, here, take this, and... Why don't you go out and look at those seagulls that are flying around? Errol's thing is that she loves seagulls and seagulls love her, which I guess is yet another callback to Marin. And uh, so Link looks out to the sea and the seagulls are flying. Were they flying above the pirate ship? No, no. You look out at the seagulls and then Errol's like, wait, look over there. And Link pans over and he sees a giant 
fucking bird flying around. And there's somebody in the bird's talons. And there's a boat chasing the bird, flinging rocks at it with startling accuracy. And the bird takes a big-ass rock to its face just above Outset Island and drops the person that it's carrying so that they fall near the peak. And Errol's like, holy shit, did you see that? Is that person okay? And that's your indication that you need to go up. But you can't go up there because you have to cut down the trees that are in your way. So you need to get a sword. And let's see, the sword you get from Orca, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you run over to Orca and explain that you need a sword. So Orca takes you through and makes sure that you know how to use the sword. And once you've proven to him that you can handle the sword safely and not hurt yourself with it, he sets you off. And it's it's said through dialogue that he that Link sort of presents this without saying exactly what's going on. So Orca has every reason to think that this is just a flight of fancy by a young boy pretending to be the hero. But that isn't the kind of language that Orca uses when he sets Link off. He tells Link to be careful always, as if he knows that Link is going on a major journey. And this is the part of the game where Link begins to leave home, is when Orca sends him out with the sword. Because he has become a very different person with a very different sense of agency than he had an hour ago. Link goes to the top of the island, crossing a very long, very rickety suspension bridge. And I think it has gaps in it that you actually have to jump across as you're running across it. And at the small wooded area at the top of the mountain, he finds that the person dropped by the bird was a girl about his age. And as he's moving to get her down from the tree, more smaller birds appear and drop little beasties with the intent of assumedly killing him and taking the girl. And I think this is actually the first time in the series we see a bacoblin. Is it? I think so. Hmm. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, prior to now, um, the basic Malay enemy in any given Zelda game was either the Moblin, a human soldier, or what would you call the basic enemy in Ocarina of Time? Like Deku Scrubs? Yeah, Deku Scrubs. But this is the first time... Depends on the area. Yeah. They they didn't really have a standard enemy in Ocarina of Time because when a Stalfos showed up, it was a big deal. But that was the closest that you would get to something like this. But the basic scrub-tier enemy in Wind Waker is the Bokoblin. And this is the first time that they're introduced. And after this, they would become a series staple. I guess so that Moblins could be framed in a way that made them much scarier. Also, Breath of the Wild made, now that I'm thinking about this, Moblins being much scarier later in the series, basically reframes the first game and how badass that Link is. Because he runs around, he just beats up Moblins everywhere, and he can fight five or six Lionels at a time. I don't know why I'm thinking about that. Yeah? Anyway, yeah, I'm getting off track again. So the girl's a pirate captain. The girl is a pirate captain, which she reveals after you beat up all the monsters, and she just falls out of the fucking tree. Like, the branch breaks, she falls. It's very comedic. And she's like... she, The falling animation actually has her go up a little bit and then back down. <laughs> yeah, it's like gravity reaches up to grab hold of her, but until that point, she's ready to float away. It's very cartoony. It, it's a good way to set the tone for how physics in this game work, and it becomes a lot more extreme. Uh, not too long after this. So, you talk to the pirate captain, and her name is Tetra, 
And she refers to you as a kid, even though she's exactly your size. And assumedly exactly the same age as you and your sister. Or Errol might be younger. And she's like, okay, it's all fine now. Let's go back to the shore so I can get back on my damn boat. I'm sure that my whole crew is worried about me. And as you're leaving, you see that Errol followed you up the island. And she's like, oh, you're okay. And Link waves to Errol and they're just very happy to see each other. It's a happy family moment where everybody's safe and it's fine. And then that fucking bird comes back in and you get a better sense of its size now and it's as big as a house. And as Errol is in the middle of the suspension bridge, that bird snatches her and flies away. And Link nearly runs off the cliff. He runs off the cliff. Yes. Chasing the bird. Yeah, he doesn't even think about it. This is the second instance of the game where Link has really explicit characterization telling you about the kind of personality that he has. The first one being where he's super not excited to be putting on the hero's clothes. But when he sees that bird flying off with his sister, he draws the sword and starts running, looking up at it without having any mind to where his feet are. And he just sails off the side of the cliff and Tetra manages to catch him, grabbing him by the scruff back of his tunic. And as she's holding him up and keeping him from falling, he's fighting her, trying to get away from her hand so that he can chase his sister. And this is interesting because that one moment right there, up to this point in the series, is the most explicit example of characterization that any version of Link has ever had, I think. Yes, and it's courage. I suppose. I don't know if that's really courage so much as uh, shocked I don't know if I would necessarily call it courage. Are are you saying that courage in the context of this series necessarily takes on the shape of this self-destructive heroic impulse? I don't know that it's necessarily self-destructive. He flew off a cliff. But the way Link does not hesitate at all to chase after the giant bird monster. He's very singularly focused on this to the exclusion of his own safety. And this is a first... For that character in this series, I think. It's just interesting because a lot of people don't really... For some reason, they don't see this scene as being illustrative of who Link is in any sense. But I think this one shot is the most important that we get in Wind Waker for understanding Link, his relationship with the quest that he goes on, his relationship with his sister, and his relationship with the actions that he ultimately has to take. And that he's just going to get shit done. But it's because he cares so distinctly about the people that he's trying to help that he has no sense of himself, at least in the moment. I like how there's a very achievable goal. Well, not achievable, but like a small scale reason for venturing out. You know, you have to save your sister. Yes. Personal. Yeah. It's not about a a kingdom or, you know, politics or an evil man. Oh. Well, that you know of. That you know of. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess this is sort of a callback to Link going off to save his uncle, but this part of the story lasts much longer. It does. And also, um, I think the setup for it is a little bit more reasonable here than it was for Link's uncle. I mean, it has its own goofy-ass assumptions about how the world works and why this bird is going around snatching girls and things like that. But at least Errol doesn't tell you to stay where you are and then go off and get murdered by rats. Just in case anyone forgot, Link's uncle in Link to the Past was murdered by rats. And It's true. So, 
Tetra's really put out by the fact that Link nearly kills himself trying to chase after his sister. And they go down to the shore together. And when you get down there, uh, Tetra, who keeps harping up on the fact that Link is a kid, in spite of the fact that she's plainly the same age that Link is. So I guess that's one of her things, is that she has this assumed authority over the people that she talks to and speaks as an adult, in spite of the fact that she's a little tiny child. And she tells Link that, listen, they're going to go to the place where the bird was, but no, he can't come. He's just a kid. He doesn't even have a shield to protect himself with. And as she's saying this, the postman is there, and the postman is a Rito. We'll get to the Rito later, but the important thing about the postman right now is that he bore witness to the entire thing, and the postman's like, listen, you shit kid, this entire thing happened because you and your crew brought that bird to this island, and that girl who was taken just now was most likely taken because she was mistaken for you. All of this calamity happened because your crew could not protect you, and you are the one who brought this misfortune here. Who are you to deny these people the right to m try to fix the things that have happened to them? And Tetra is, for the only time in the entire game, sort of cowed by this reasoning. And she's like, well, that, that's a good argument. But you don't even have a shield to protect yourself with. I tell you what, you can come with us if you get something that you can use to protect yourself. So Link, remembering that there is a shield hanging on the wall of his grandmother's house, goes to his grandmother's house, and no one in the whole world stops and talks to all the village people on the way there. No one. Ever. Because there's a sense of urgency here. Right? Yeah? No? No. Oh. So, Link goes to his grandmother's house, and Grandma is on the first floor. And well, No, first he looks to where the shield is. No, no, she's on the first floor, oh. and she's like, what's happening? Is something wrong? Where's Errol? And Link goes to the second floor where the shield is, which is up a ladder. And the shield is gone. And then you go down to the first floor again. And it turns out that, oh, oh no. And it turns out that Link's grandmother is holding the shield, which I guess means she scampered up that ladder real quick like. She and, had it. Yeah. She knew what was coming somehow. And now she's holding the shield and she says, I, I can't remember the exact line. But it's something along the lines of, I don't know what's happening exactly, but you need this, don't you? You you need this because something has happened, and you need to fix it. And she gives you the shield, but she's very unhappy about it. And she's very worried instantly about both Link and Errol. And you take the shield, and you leave. And once you show Tetra that you have it, she's like, okay, well, we're going to go now. And if you're leaving with us, you're leaving with us for a long time. So make sure you're ready before we go. And Link stops and he crawls underneath his grandma's house and he picks up a big rupee and then he comes back. And then they sail off on the pirate ship. And there's this sequence where everyone's waving to Link as he sails off to find Errol. And everyone on the island is there. Orca's there and Sturgeon's there and the lady with the pot on her head is there. But grandma's not there. Grandma is standing on the porch of her house, watching as the ship with her other grandchild sails away. And it plays the saddest music in the history of the Zelda series, which is Grandma's theme. Or I think the actual title of the track is just Grandma. And Link waves to her, but she doesn't wave back. She just watches. And they sail away, off into the unknown. The tone of... That's very sad. Yeah, it is. 
<laughs> I'm glad that, you know, the tone instantly turns hopeful and cheerful, you know, now that you're on the pirate ship and the music's upbeat and the, the pirates are zany. Because you need to sort of have a palate cleanser after that, you know, yeah, sad it, scene. It's it's a very sad scene. Um, and it's it. The, the Tetra makes fun of you for loving your grandma. She does. <laughs> yeah, she makes fun of you for being sad that you're leaving your family behind. And she's like, "Listen, is do you want us to go back? You might be able to still swim." And Link's like, oh, "I swear to God, these fucking people." And he turns away from the island. It, yeah, Tetra's kind of a jerk early on. She has, or rather Midna has, her bullying streak. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big part of why people like Midna so much is that she, on one level, she's sort of like a redux of Tetra. Sort of. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of the most weirdly sad sequences in any Zelda game when Link leaves the island. Because I know, I'm not going to name names, but I do know people who cried the first and also second and third times they watched that sequence. Wind Waker is a nonstop cry fest for me. It's a very sad game in some parts. But yeah, you're totally right that it's important that they have that palate cleanser right after because all the pirates are just super goofy and these explosive personalities. And you are immediately named the new Swabby who swabs the decks, I guess. And you go down into the hold with this little... All the pirates are sick of having you underfoot as soon as you set sail. They're like, I cannot believe that there's another fucking kid on board and this one isn't even our boss. So they send you underneath uh, the ship's deck down to the hold so that you get to run around down there with Nico, the lowest of the low of the pirates. And Nico treats you to an obstacle course. So Nico tells you that getting through this obstacle course, which consists of swinging from rope lanterns to reach the other side of the hold, which has a bunch of weirdly uh, self-raising mechanisms that you can use to hop around, will probably take you about a year of training. A year of bruises and falling and just non-stop toil. Nothing to say. You will not make it before you reach your destination. And, of course, Link does it almost instantly. Almost on his first try. And he goes, oh, my God. This is unbelievable. Okay, well, you might have done it almost instantly, but it took (laughs) me quite a while. And it felt like a year. How long did it take you? I say, I say, how long did it take you? Uh, It took me many, many tries over several nights. Oh, wow. Several nights even. Getting up and down the rope was kind of kind of tricky. Was it? Cuz you just had to hold the R button. Knowing how far up or down and then swinging. It's a little bit tricky. Uh, how long did it take you? I'm uh, sometimes a couple tries. Well, I, I I mean like canonically Link does it almost instantly. I also had a little bit of trouble when I was first learning the ropes, so to speak. But uh Link, the character, I think it's pretty safe to say, does it kind of fast. Certainly faster than Nico assumed it would. How did you keep doing this? How did you play through this game if that sequence took you that long? Wouldn't I, I would have gone insane with fury. <laughs> Very carefully and slowly. On this relatively tightly timed sequence. Uh-huh. Ah, that's a lot of patience. Yeah, it's, what I mean to say is, yes, you were very patient in getting through it if it was giving you that much trouble. How what? old were you? I was, let's say, I would have been about 11 years of yeah, age. Yeah, that explains things. Oh, this wasn't your first, was it? No, this was not the, This was not my first. My first was 
the Ocarina of Time. Oh, how old were you for that one? That's 1998, so... Well, I don't think she played it at launch. Oh. No, I played it in the dentist's office uh, in the year 2000. Yeah. I, well, did you, you didn't play it to completion at the dentist's office. No, I, I, I asked for a Nintendo 64 later that year. Oh. oh, hey, it's kind of like my story. Yeah, that's very similar. That sequence would... when you, I remember that one of the reasons... I played Ocarina at about the same age that you played Wind Waker. So I think that the relative simplicity of the environmental interactions in Ocarina compared to those in Wind Waker definitely made some sequences easier. But the bit with Nico is interesting because I don't think you ever have another platforming sequence that's anywhere close to that intense in the entire game. No, I don't think so. So it's like, if you can get past this bit with Nico, you can beat the game in terms of running around and jumping to places. Which, you know, that's fine. So Link is very good at this in comparison to expectations. What does Nico give you when you complete it this time? I'm not sure. Does he not give you anything this time? The spoils bag. Ah. Oh, the spoils bag. That's right. Was that, that, that wasn't in a chest though. That's a later bit. Or maybe, yeah, it was in a chest. It doesn't fucking matter. He gives you the spoils bag, which is important later because it lets you carry everything. So after you do this, Link apparently spends enough time on this particular sequence that the pirate ship arrives at the Forsaken Fortress. Now, did we have something in particular we wanted to say about the... Okay, hold on. We're control-effing in the... Oh, Lord. Give us just a second. Well, there used to be pirates at the Forsaken Fortress. Right. Human pirates? That is the implication. Who are they pirating? That probably little fishing villages and windfall and treasure hunters who sailed around. There are all sorts of strange rumors about this place. What I do know is that long ago, it used to be the hideout of a no-good group of pirates we used to compete with, but they were just small time. Now the place looks like it's pretty dangerous. The interesting thing here is that there's no mention of what happened to the pirates who Tetra's crew used to be competitors with? What does Tetra's crew do exactly? Uh, They they steal and pillage. I don't know if they actually do that, is the weird thing. I was trying to figure out, like, how into this pirating thing are they because in one sense you know if, was it clearly just a, a disguise for the princess <laughs> well we'll get to that later but um and, and as doesn't the, the ship at the top of the forsaken fortress have a have a sheikah symbol on it i don't think it has a sail or anything showing where would the where would this where would this be so claims the zelda wiki well Okay. Let's go see. Well, we're going to go look to the Forsaken Fortress. Do, 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 I think there are pictures at the bottom. Do, 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 A Sheikah-like emblem found within the fortress. Oh, yeah. This was close to Ganon's room, I think. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that this is a Sheikah symbol. What do you mean to imply there, Crystal? Is it that the... That the pirates who Tetra's group competed with were descended of the Sheikah somehow? Perhaps. Or perhaps they were Gerudo. Why would they have a Sheikah symbol then? Also, given what happens to those pirates, I have trouble reconciling the idea that they might be Gerudo. Maybe the symbol got turned upside down and it was like proto Yiga. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kind of 
stretching. Or it could just be a very similar symbol that doesn't mean anything in particular. Because it looks pretty Sheikah-y. It does look pretty Sheikah-y, but there are multiple ways that pirates could have gotten their hands on that symbol. Yeah, I think the, the fortress does have a number of ships wrecked around it. Yeah, I guess you could say this has been inhabited by many different groups over the centuries. But uh, it also seems super clear that whoever this rival group of pirates were, they fucking gone now. They ain't around. Yeah, Ganon killed them with his moblins. Yeah, that seems to be exactly what happened. And it almost, there's a ship that, it's like half of a ship that got torn in half and put on top of the Forsaken Fortress like a trophy. Now that's where Ganondorf is. Yeah, they reach the Forsaken Fortress and they come up with a plan for how Link might be able to infiltrate it and turn off the spotlights so that the pirates can sail closer and raid the place and rescue Link's sister and put an end to the evil that's within the fortress. And this begins by putting Link in the catapult and launching his goofy ass straight at the fortress. And he smacks into the wall. Yeah. Tetra's like, don't worry, we're like surgeons with this thing. And he gets flung at the fortress out of a catapult at like a million miles an hour and he just smashes into the side of the building and falls and his sword bounces off the wall and lands somewhere else while he drops straight down into the water. And he's not dead, for whatever reason. It's like the most Looney Tunes bullshit in the entire series, and I love that sequence so much. Partially because Link goes from struggling to get out of the barrel that they've got him in on the catapult, to trying to brace himself to this grim acceptance of, about, of what's about to happen. Just this little evolution of what he's feeling. Well, he is the first Link that gets sort of projectiled, but he's not the last. Oh, what are we... Like, Twilight Princess Link and his giant cannon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the first one where we just see him get fucking uh, wily coyotied into a solid stone wall. Yeah. I think it's the only time. I, I used to... I loved that joke as a kid so much. It was just good. So Link has to sneak his way through this fortress, which is full of moblins. And damn, you know I love Zelda stealth sequences. <laughs> I, I, I think Zelda stealth sequences have generally gotten better over time. How tough was this sequence for you, Crystal? Uh, I was here for about a week. Oof! Wow, that's rough. Uh, it's I. I always get caught a couple of times, and even if they do a little rumble warning for when they start to spot you. Oh, no. No, those those motherfuckers, if you're in range, like, Hurrah! No, there's a little drung. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Wind Waker was... It was before Breath of the Wild was revealed. This is no longer part of the zeitgeist because Breath of the Wild shattered all these conventions. But I think Breath uh, Wind Waker was sort of the beginning of this idea that it takes you way too long to be able to kick the shit out of enemies in a Zelda game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Wind Waker was especially bad about it, specifically because of this stealth sequence, because it would throw you up against enemies where the lose condition was being detected by them. And stealth games are made considerably more fun by having options if the stealth fails, I think. So even something like the Yiga hideout, where you get one shot by the berserkers if you get spotted, at least you still have the opportunity to fight them and shoot them in the face with bomb arrows and fight your way out. That ain't the case here. You just get caught and thrown in a little cell. 
Well, the Grotto Fortress in Ocarina of Time, you had to stealth around with that, too. Yeah, but you could knock out the guards. Fair. Knock them out uh, non-lethally by shooting them in the head with arrows. Yes. Or their ankles. I remember that. And uh, so Link gets through this interminable stealth sequence. And the Forsaken Fortress is actually really big. It takes a while to get through it, even if you know where you're going. And I think every time I play through the game, I get lost for at least 10 or 15 minutes trying to remember what parts of the fortress that I've been through. Have you guys found a similar thing when you're going through it? Yeah, I got lost in Wind Waker HD. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a map there, if I'm remembering correctly, but you can you can get turned around and pretty easily. Because the whole thing in this sequence is that you have to... Is this... Do you have to stop the lights in this visit to the Forsaken Fortress? Or you just focus... It doesn't fucking matter. Link gets his sword, and he... Eventually, he manages to sneak past all the moblins and pick up his sword... And then he has a big fight with a moblin. And it's like, aha, now I have the weapon. And I can fight all these baddies who were instantly defeating me by looking at me before. And eventually he gets to where his sister is being held. And he's like, oh boy, I found Errol. And Errol's like, yeah. And And she's in a cage with a couple other girls. Yeah, a couple other girls who are scowling constantly. One of them is this hoity-toity rich girl. And the other one is this very poor girl. And uh, that's pretty much the entirety of their characters up to this point. And Errol's there. Errol's good. And she's surrounded by seagulls. She's always surrounded by seagulls. I don't know why seagulls like her so much. Possibly because she's just Marin. So Link's very excited to find his sister again. And then that goddamn bird shows up. And the bird grabs Link and flies away. And you think, oh no, what's going to happen now? And the bird flies Link up to the ship that is atop the Forsaken Fortress. And we see this enormous cloaked figure wearing robes with very strange symbols on the back. And we don't get a very good look at him, except for this up-close shot of the lower half of his face as he looks at Link. And then he motions to the side with his head. And once he does that, the bird throws Link. And it doesn't just throw him. He sails way off into the horizon. It's like, get rid of that fucking thing. And off he goes. And it just throws him out to the sea to drown. And this is the who's f- this man, <laughs> this cloaked figure. This is the first indication, I guess, that a human Ganondorf is in this game. Yeah. Well, they don't exactly tell you who it is, but he has green skin, so it's not and a whole. And the red beard. And the red beard. That's a big thing. Is there still arguments going on about whether or not Ganondorf's skin is green? I'm going to test this. He's plainly green. <laughs> I think this came up in the Ocarina episode. I'm going to make a quick poll. And next time we record an episode, uh, I'll reference the results of this poll. And I'm just going to set this to run for like 15 hours. So yeah, it's a green-skinned man. And he's plainly very evil. But he has no spoken lines during this bit. And Link is flung off into the distance. And his sister is left behind, and the pirates don't get to raid the fortress. Though, I think it's pretty clear at this point that if the pirates actually did raid the fortress, they would get their shit kicked around. Because there's a giant bird up there, if nothing else. And also, I don't know if any of them have swords. I really like the idea, although there's nothing to establish it, but the Helmrock King is so well behaved that I like the idea of Ganondorf raising it from a small chick. Yeah, like it's his pet. Oh. Yeah, just a little adorable fuzzball. Or feather ball. 
I've seen that fan art, I think. Have we? Yeah, I think I think I've seen fan art of Ganondorf, maybe a younger Ganondorf with a little baby Helmarok. That's an adorable image. Well, I mean, it is basically his pet. He has it trained almost like a giant dog. Yeah. It's Clifford, the Helmarok king. <laughs> and when Link comes to, it's daytime and he's floating he's no longer in the ocean. He's in a boat. And the boat is taking him to an island he doesn't recognize. And a voice is talking to him. And it turns out the voice is the boat. The boat can talk. Boat can talk. Talking boat. It identifies itself as the king of red lions. Does it look like a Does lion? Does mean anything? Um, well, I always thought it looked more like a dragon. Yeah. Does it mean anything, Crystal? I, I don't think so. Has Hyrule ever been associated with red lions? The closest we get to them is lionels, really. Yeah. Oh my god, there's already two answers to the poll of whether or not Ganondorf's skin is green. One is yes, one is no. Is one of them Crystal? I don't know. If I Crystal said no, yet, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so the the boat can talk, and... Uh, red lions. Red lions. I don't know. I can't think... Is that what? What is the boat's name in Japanese? Uh, let me check, actually. Akashishino-o. What does that mean? Aka is red, I think. Oh, it's great. King, yeah, it's King of Red Lions. That's interesting because you're definitely right that uh, Hyrule up to now has not been associated with lions in any way. And I don't think lions are actually much of a thing in the series up to this point. And he doesn't actually look that much like a lion. He looked kind of like a dragon. King of red dragons would be interesting. but yeah. A lion dragon. Sure. True. I guess more like an Asian dragon. Uh, no, wait. We're talking about lions. He, he looks like one of the guardian lions. Sort of. The ones that also look sort of like dogs. Mm, like a Chinese one. What are those called? I, I think in Persona they're called Shiza. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's a boat, the King of Red Lions, and the King of Red Lions explains that what you thought was a simple quest to save your sister is brushing up against something much larger and more terrible. The great shadow that rules over the Forsaken Fortress is called Ganon. And mm. this is interesting, I think, because the use of the name Ganon here is important for understanding the way that the King of Red Lions uh, sees Ganondorf. But we'll come back to that when Ganondorf introduces himself to you. Because the king always calls him Ganon, yes. not Ganondorf. Always. I think he might call him Ganondorf at the very, very end of the game when yeah. they're face-to-face. -face. But up to then, he uses the name Ganon, which in Ocarina of Time is specifically referring to the monster, not the man. So it's got this dehumanizing element to it to call him Ganon instead of his actual name. I think it's acknowledging him as a greater threat. The uh, the king also mentions that he has been watching Link since he went to the Forsaken Fortress. Hmm. Mm, that's interesting. Does that imply that he has some kind of ghost vision? Well, we talked... One thing that I skipped over with regards to the Forsaken Fortress is that at some point, Tetra slips into... Uh, Link's pocket, a magic stone that she can talk to him through. Mm -hmm. and I guess now is a, as good a time as ever to talk about it. Yeah. Um, although, you know, it, it's really only explained later. But it's an heirloom and it's a, it's a magic gossip stone. And you find out later that, you know, the king can talk through it. 
So he's clearly got another piece of it. And he's been listening the whole time. And presumably to oh. every Tetra or Zelda. Because they had it okay. too. Well. That makes sense. Yeah. That's weird. We'll, we'll come back to that once we get the reveal of who the King of Red Lions okay. is. Oh, um, he's, the, he's the King of Hyrule. <laughs> God damn it. Spoiler. We haven't ordered this. this. In, in the order, How is it Cameron? that we managed to get through that six-hour recording of the Majora's Mask episode without major spoilers, but we get in the Wind Waker episode, everything all out of order. We're all just going nuts over here. I it's think a, people wait, listening will know. Since when do we know. care about revealing things in order? We care enormously. <laughs> this is a very serious podcast. I I think it's it's important to talk about this now because knowing that the King of Red Lions is listening in at all times... And to all the the Tetras and their, you know, the pirates prior to this journey. It's it's pretty um, important to keep in mind. It's illuminating. It's important illuminating. that we frame this game as a battle. <laughs> it's important that we frame this game as a battle between two very old ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, I mean, Ganondorf's not really a ghost, I don't think. Well, he seems kind of like a ghost. He's very patriarchal. We're old ta- men. You're talking about the King of Red Lions now? Yes, the two, the framing it between the two old fussy ghosts. Ganondorf's two not a fucking ghost. Well, he's a little bit ghost. Well, okay, let's talk about this. What? Okay, so Ganondorf broke out of his... Like, let me bring up the dialogue that the King of Red Lions has. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. His very same Gan, the Emperor of the Dark Realm, the Ancient Lineage speak of, I do not know why the seal of the gods has failed, but now Gan has returned. So the gods did not merely flood him and drown him to death, but they sealed him away under the ocean. Hold on. You're getting a bit ahead of yourself here. When you say merely drown him to death, that implies that something in the text says that Ganondorf drowned. Well, Hyrule, like they tr- I guess they tried to drown him, but Hyrule's not immersed in water. There's a bubble around it. Ganondorf's power right, that- specifically protects Hyrule from being drowned. Yes. Do you think that's Ganondorf doing it? Yes, absolutely. 100%. So here's my question. Why didn't they just drown Ganon to death? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, okay. That I, call- I, don't, I don't know if that's Ganon's power holding it back. I thought, you know, whomever established or, or had the kingdom drowned wanted to preserve Hyrule. Uh, I don't see it. We'll get to that a little bit later, I think. But um, I, 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 why didn't they? Well, that calls to mind. Okay, Crystal, how do you see the uh, exact happenings of the Wind Waker backstory going down? I think Ganon was, for whatever reason, sealed in the time bubble of Hyrule under the ocean. Right. And then through his evil dark magics, he was eventually able to move and he got out of there. Okay, but but he, I don't something. He doesn't feel like he's a physical man. How do you mean? He feels kind of like a like a phantom, just in, in the way that he moves. Because he jumps real good, or but like if he's a physical man, how did he get out of the ocean? Well, there's a warp spot. There is actually a warp spot, a place where his power punches through the seal. And so what, then he swam to the nearest island? Well, Ganon is like a super crazy sorcerer, 
and the warp spot is actually inside the Forsaken Fortress. So I think what happened was these pirates are just having a regular pirate day, and one day Ganondorf is just amongst them, and that's the end of the pirates. I do kind of feel like he's ghostly, but that's sort of just his obsession with an old dead kingdom. Ganondorf's definitely not dead. I'm not saying that he's dead. If he's a ghost, he's dead. That's one of the prerequisites uh, for being a ghost. He's he Death doesn't really affect him that way. <laughs> it's Ganon! Right. I mean, but this is a very particular version of Ganon, too, who is, by all appearances, as good as immortal up to this point. And you know what? We'll come back to it as to whether or not Ganon's a ghost. So, Crystal, what do you, what, what, what do you see as the mechanism of the flooding of Hyrule, is what I'm getting at? Oh, well, rain... Thank you, Crystal. What made it rain? The gods. Because the goddess says, rather. Because that would be the Triforce gods, because the people beseeched them. Why did they choose to flood the land? I think they saw Hyrule as a mistake. Really? Yes. Isn't it in the prologue? Well, well, no, it actually never says. Huh. They did they not the get into the goddess's motivations in the prologue. The pro- the the prologue doesn't say that Hyrule was flooded. True. Does it not? No, no. not at all. All it says is they left oh, their future okay. in the hands of fate. No one knows what hmm. happens to the kingdom. Are you suggesting the flood could perhaps be not of the goddesses? Well, we'll come back to it. So, Link is told that he needs to find a way to throw himself against the power of Ganon, but to do that... He needs to obtain items that will allow him to prove his courage to the gods. And if he does that, then he will be able to face the shadow of the Forsaken Fortress. But before he can do that, he needs a sail, because a boat with no sail is just a big useless piece of wooden shit. And that does sort of call to mind, where was the King of Red Lions before this? What happened to his sail? What Did he just like come into being right when Link fell into the water? Well, yeah, he... I think he probably manifested himself as a boat shortly after he saw Link fall into the water. Or he took that specific boat at that point. Because like, the boat... Yeah, he, he possessed a boat. Yeah, he possessed the boat. He possessed this really nice boat. Okay, sure, I buy that. So Link runs around this new setting, um, Windfall Island, which is interesting because it's a very mercantile island, which I guess is why it's called Windfall Windfall is great. Windfall is the kind of setting where if we tried to talk about all the people on it, we could spend most of an episode doing it. Um, we could touch on the most important parts. Um, there's two separate families on it, one very rich and one very poor, both of whom are missing their daughters, and those are the girls in the Forsaken Fortress. Um, there's a pig aficionado and a bunch of pigs who are running around, and if... You pick up one of the pigs, he leaves little fart clouds above your head while you run around with him. I love the farting pig. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> farting pig is great. And uh, You ever think Miyamoto played this game and he just ran around for hours and hours with the farting pig? Definitely. A hundred percent. There's no way he didn't. Well, I mean, didn't you? Uh, not for hours and hours. Could you climb the trees? I'm not so easily amused as Shigeru Miyamoto. I'm a woman of sophisticated tastes. Yes, sophisticated taste. You can't climb the trees in this game, can you? No. No. Wasted opportunity. So, and there's also uh, the schoolhouse run by... 
A very rich lady. <laughs> she's very rich, though you don't really know it at the time. You just see her as being very eccentric. And she wants butterfly necklaces that are primarily worn by moblins. Bacoblin. Is it Bacoblin? Yeah, it's Bacoblins. So Bacoblins love butterfly necklaces, and she loves those butterfly necklaces. And she's also independently wealthy. And she's running this schoolhouse specifically because she has the money to run it, and she loves children. And that's nice. That's real nice. And you got this uh, punk-ass group of kids who call themselves the killer bees and much like the bombers of majora's mask you have to play high not so much hide and go seek as like hide and go tag with them where you have to chase them down and grab them and you do that to make them go to class and this is where lenzo uh the pictograph artist who may or may not have been dating link's grandma lives and there's just all kinds of tons of people all over this place and it's really dense and it's really lively, and it's almost singular in the Kakariko village equivalents from throughout this series in how much effort is put into making each character on it as distinct from each other as possible. Something that always struck me about it. All the people are real different. A top five in the series town. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the series has some good towns, I guess. Uh, You're missing the most important character. I already went over the farting pig. No. Oh, who? The um, the mini game guy. Oh, is he here? He's here. Oh, sploosh. <laughs> well, he's in kaboom. A... Yes. Is is that particular game in this? Yeah, the um, the Octra. Yeah. You have to um, play Battleship. Oh, okay. But he still does the sploosh and yeah. Of course, we cannot forget our man Tingle. Oh, and oh, Tingle. Tingle, yeah. And Tingle is here. Is Tingle part of the uh, of the? Uh, main quest line in this game yes do you need the picto box to progress i'm not sure if you I don't do think so i don't think you do i mean most people get it you get the El- you get this elvis man could you repeat that the elvis man the elvis man the dancing elvis man yeah the dancing elvis man he becomes important later well sort of he's another one of those uh sort of but not really necessary characters um Sorry to interject, but you do definitely need Tingle because he needs to translate the charts later. That's true. I think you. Oh, that's true. Yes, before that too, but you definitely it is a mandatory part of this game. Yes. To go to Tingle's slave islands. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's uh, and Tingle's interesting in this case because um, the the I just suppose one of the currently stored pictures. Give me just a second here. Apparently, the Picto box that you get here belonged to Lenzo before uh, Tingle stole it. And Tingle stealing it is why he got put in jail. But somehow he managed to take the Picto box with him into jail and hide the Picto box underneath the jail in this room that's full of human remains. Are those humans who died in jail? (laughs) It's not super clear. Um, Because this doesn't really seem like the kind of setting where you get put in prison until you die doesn't really fit with the tone of Wind Waker. Speaking of the tone of... But what if you're a deviant? A deviant how? A man who dresses up as a fairy. Oh, well. Yeah, the game's... This game's treatment of Tingle might be the weirdest of all the games. Uh Uh-huh. Because there's like... All the human remains being around where he hid the Picto box. It definitely wasn't meant to be interpreted this way. But it gives this sense that Tingle might be a super crazy murderer. Is that what you think? I don't think that, no. But it also gives the sense that there's this possibility space. Especially given that he has an island full of slaves. 
Well, no, I mean, maybe they had issue with his slavery and kind of locked him up there. I, well, regardless. Um, I don't know if the, if the Picto box is actually necessary for progressing, but you do need to meet Tingle. So you find Tingle in the jail, and you press a button, and you just let him out, and off he goes, and he disappears for a while, and you won't see him again for a good bit. But the real meat of why you're here on Windfall is to get a sail that you can use with the King of Red Lions. And the sail that you get is just this nice sail. Uh, you can come back later in the HD remake of the game and get a sa- another sail that lets you go twice as fast. And everybody likes that. Even though I actually like the slower pace of the original sail for my sailing most of the time. It feels pretty good. It gives a good sense of the size of the world. Uh, that ocean's pretty big. Yeah, I guess. I, I would I would settle for the pace of the original sale and then squish everything down a little bit. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I for convenience sake I like the quick sale, but I remember playing it the original and really enjoying how you had to well, I hated having to change the wind every, you know, couple of minutes, but you kind of found a way to weave yourself in a sort of zigzag to not have to change the wind if you were lazy and that was kind of neat yeah sailing into the wind is a real thing that you can do and the fact that it works in wind waker feels really cool but the the quick sail changing the wind so that it's always more or less behind you is also a considerable advantage but anyway so you help this little um inuit caricature out and he gives you a sail and then you'd sail off in the direction that the wind is blowing because you don't have any way to change the direction of the wind yet. And you sail away to a little place called Dragon Roost Island. And Dragon Roost Island... Uh, should we call it here? I guess we could. That's a good point. It's been about one hour, 15 minutes of recording. That's true. I mean, we've got big gaps in it, but this can be a slightly shorter episode. So we yeah. can pick up from here uh, at the arrival at Dragon Roost. Home of the best music. Is it the best music? This, well, this fact is bro- broken into uh, this fact is broken into twenty segments, and the arrival of Dragon Roost is number six. So that feels appropriate. Okay. Well, um, we went really quickly on Windfall, and we're going to need to spend a lot more time on Dragon Roost, I think, because this is the part of the game where it starts getting more story dense. And there's a lot of lore for all the characters and whatnot. And it's like that for Windfall too, but we don't spend as much time on it because it's not quite as critical path important. But I have a feeling that uh, Dragon Roost will take up a lot more time than Windfall did. Yes. Uh, do we want to put an outro or do we want to answer questions? You know what? We can we can answer some questions if you've got okay, some. Okay, let's, let's answer some questions. Where can people send us questions? You can send questions to us in three places. You can send them either to at Arcane Crystal on Twitter, at Cam Ryder on Twitter, or most particularly, this is my favorite place to get questions, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. If you have longer questions especially, and we love those, we love getting into the detailed shit, send them to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com, and we will read them right here. I don't think the email's got any questions. Uh, There are no email questions. Okay. But I see you've got some questions here. Would you like to start us off? Okay. Uh, The first question comes in from Emily. Who are Link's parents? What happened to them? How did you feel about Link having a family? 
We haven't seen that since A Link to the Past, and not again since Wind Waker. I think Link's parents died early, and that poor grandma kind of looks like she has a world's worth of, of sadness on her. So she's probably been raising Link and Errol since probably around when Errol was born. Yeah, that probably sounds right. The question of who Link's parents are don't actually, that that doesn't matter. Like his birth parents, at this point in the story, they don't matter. His grandmother is the only parent that he has. And he's also raised communally by the village. Hmm. That's true. This This is not a nuclear family. Yeah. As to what happened to them, I don't know. I mean, I guess most likely. They went to sea. Yeah. And got lost. Probably drowned. Ocean's dangerous. Yeah, ocean's fucking dangerous. And, uh, Crystal, how do you feel about Link having a family? I prefer Links who have families. It grounds the character as part of the world in a way he kind of hasn't been in recent games. Do you think? Like, uh, I mean, not so much Breath of the Wild, because he has a history as a as a captain in the Royal Guard. He mentioned his father briefly. But particularly in both Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, he's just kind of there and doesn't seem to have, like, hooks into the community. See, uh, when we talk about... Uh, when, when, when Emily says that we haven't seen it again since Wind Waker, I actually take a little bit of issue with that because I think that Link definitely does have family in Twilight Princess. Russell is 100% Link's father figure, and Colin looks up to him as a big brother. And even though they're not his birth family, I think it would be fair to say that Link is still treated by family, and they are his hook into the community. And his relationships with other characters have grown more important over time. But this is the first game where his relation... You're right that this is the game where he's really anchored by it. In Spirit Tracks, the the conductor guy is kind of like a, a surrogate father. Oh, uh, yeah. That was Enzo, right? I can't remember his name. It's Enzo. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Enzo. But... He, he lives with Nico in that game. <laughs> Does he? Which is kind of weird. Well, I mean, the difference between the... Oh, God, that's right. Nico's still fucking alive in Spirit Tracks. Oh, that spirit. And he lives He lives with this this young child this, who he's not related to. He's super not related to. And we would assume that Link in Spirit Tracks is not actually descended from Wind Waker Link. He's just some kid who happens to be named Link. Yeah, or whatever name you give him. Because Link's never... Uh, Nico's never like, you know, I knew you're a great-grandpappy or whatever the fuck. He's, uh, he's just like, ah, you fucking shit kid. You know, um... Thinking about immediate family members, I think in the the Breath of the Wild art book, um, pages have been le- leaking um, and posted onto Tumblr and so on. There was concept art for a sister of Link's. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I thought I showed it to you. Is that available to pre-order in English yet? I don't think so. Damn it. Oh, um... Speaking of art books, Wind Waker is almost singular in the Zelda series in that the genesis for its creation was not actually a game mechanic. Really? Yes. According to the Wind Waker HD, Awada asks, they knew that they wanted to make a game that had certain mechanical similarities to Ocarina of Time, but they were kind of stumped from there because they weren't sure what direction they wanted to take with it. And it wasn't until one of the artists designed Link very close to how he would look in the end that they went, oh, we can make this character animate and do almost anything, and it will still look pretty good. 
So Wind Waker as a setting and a style and a series of mechanics that you interact with the world through actually got its genesis from its art and not from a way that you play. I, I know there was a lot of focus initially on Link's eyes being so big that you could really see where he was looking. Uh-huh. It's kind of an important mechanic. Miyamoto wanted to be able to shoot beams out of his eyes. Is no, that so? No, that's fucking for real. Like, he wanted there to be a reason that the eyes were so big, so maybe they'd shoot beams out of them. And Alan was like, well, we're not doing that one. Okay. <laughs> I That would have been cool. He could use the Omega beams like Darkseid. Uh, I was thinking something more like Wonderful 101, but sure, the Omega Beams. He'll shoot Ganondorf with the Omega Beams, and it won't work because Ganondorf's deathless because he's not a ghost. So, <laughs> but uh, what if he? What if he? Okay, how about this? Here's my theory: the goddesses did drown him to death, but then he came back as a ghost. <laughs> he reincarnated as a ghost. Yeah, because he's he's too mad. It's a good he's thing so for Link to have a family. <laughs> I think that family for Link is good, and it, 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 it doesn't always take the same form, but the more they do it, the better I think it is. And maybe it's not so much about family as keeping Link anchored in the world, um, like with the Zoras and Breath of the Wild. That's probably the closest that that particular game has. Fucking Ganondorf ghost theories, goddammit. Our next question comes from Molly. <clears throat> not a question, but that Johnny Wander comic about Wind Waker is really good. Which one is that? What? I can link that to you. Oh, please. Actually, I'm not sure if this is the one that Molly's referring to, but it's the one that I found by Googling. Uh-huh. Let's see here. That's definitely a late Oct's webcomic. Uh-huh. A gamer humor, am I right? Uh, no, I'm, I, that might be a little bit... That, that may be a little bit uncharitable. Oh, why the would The cake you... is a lie. Hold on. They There's this panel here where they've shot seagulls oh, the and the pig. Why would oh. you shoot the pigs? That's horrible. This feels a lot more, interestingly, this feels a lot more like a Breath of the Wild comic, because this kind of thing could happen in Breath of the Wild. It's a good comic, though. Oh, why are you showing me this hot That's Link a fun art? little comic. Holy shit. He's so hot. That's official art? Holy shit. Okay, anyway. So we've got, uh, here, Monica, you take this next one. Jasmine Marsh tweets, How important is the theme of family to the story? Are found families better narratively, or is that more muddying grossness like whitening Tetra when the Destiny shit rocks up? Mirror Liar is very good, and I love both your dungeon buds in this game. Wish they'd return. Well, I mean, we never see Makar in particular again, but they brought back the Koroks for a reason. How important is the theme of family to the story, Crystal? I mean, it's Link's primary motivation for, like, the first half. Mm, yeah, that's true. The Tetra's little pirate family is pretty important. I think if you're talking about like found families or surrogate families as comp um, compared to biological ones, um, hmm. I mean, we do have Link's grandma and sister and the importance of, you know, trying to reunite with them. But then we also have like the King of Red Lions and the whole Zelda Destiny thing, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's not great. Um,. I think that more than just the theme of family, because of course family is very important as a theme in Wind Waker, but more than just the theme of family, there's a generational theme to Wind Waker. Um, a theme about the failures of, this is going to sound doofy when I say it, but it's very much a game where one of the major themes is about the failures of patriarchs to yes. act mm -hmm. as caretakers both of families and of the world. 
and the ways in which that power structure is not equal to the task of changing things for the better or maintaining things for the better or supporting young people who need them. And you're bringing up the whitening of Tetra, Jasmine, is important. And uh, we are going to address that in a later episode when it actually happens and again when the game ends because that's one of the most important core themes to the story. And I think that it will fit better if we do it when it happens narratively. But rest assured, we are going to be talking about that. There's also the theme of moving on from the past and your family, though. Link, in the end, travels out and, you know, leaves his grandma and sister behind. He's one of the heroes who does not go home. Yeah. And, you know, the, the world as a whole moves on from Hyrule, sort of. There's no sort of to it. Until okay, they name yeah, the new of. land Hyrule. Yeah, okay. <laughs> new Hyrule. Well, Tetra has her things. But yeah, um, it, it, family is an important theme. I don't think that it really gets into the questions of found families, though it does seem to put forth that um, non-traditional families are just as valid. Um, more traditional families in this game often look very weird, like the um, rich family and the poor family on Windfall. Hmm. But I wouldn't call it muddying in any way, I don't think. Or maybe I just don't have the perspective to talk about that. Sometimes a family can be a 12-year-old pirate captain and her seven pirate attendants. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great family. That's a good fucking family. I tell you what. Her seven pirate attendants who look exactly like the seven pirate attendants that were catering to her ancestor. They were knights. Okay, here's my theory about that. Oh, no. They're the same people. They're immortal. (laughs) Huh. Oh. Okay, so did Nico just grow out his hair for spirit tracks? Yeah. Okay. Or the course was broken and he can finally age. So those assholes actually... Oh, yeah, maybe that's what it... Wait, why don't they know who Ganon is? They're pretending. Oh, those bastards. They could have helped us... Well, I guess they really couldn't have. (laughs) So they're actually knights who are putting on the yar. Oh, my God. If they're the knights of Hyrule... And the Knights of Hyrule are the forebearers of everyone on Outset. Does that mean that, like, Nico is actually Link's great-great-whatever-grandfather? Sure. Sure. Okay, good. I'm glad that we've come to this conclusion. Grizzle, I think you're up next for this next one. Okay. This comes from Kevin. Sploosh. Kaboom! And Trump Personable replies, Kaboom! Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, but here's the here's the next real question from Jordan. What is the Wind Waker's version of the Bloop? Are there even ice caps or glaciers in their world? Are you too familiar with the Bloop? Yes. No. No? Okay. Am I? Well, I mean... It's a weird noise from the 90s that showed up on radars, and then they figured it out it had something to do with the ice caps. Oh, the, the thing that was heard under the ocean. Yes. Okay, it, yes. It's yeah. that big sound that uh, certain corners of the internet were like, oh, Lovecraftian horror. And uh, yeah, it was just a big it was just a big sound. What is the Wind Waker's version of the bloop? Uh, one, there isn't one. Giant octos. Oh, okay. Or the frog gods. Yeah, that would work. Um, how about the Tower of the Gods? Yeah, that, that would cause a very big bloop. Yeah. What, what do you think, Crystal? I mean, Hyrule's had snowy parts. 
Have they ever had a proper gr- glacier? Um, I think you could probably say that Hebra at some point in the past had a glacier on it. Okay, so somewhere to the north of the Great Sea is the Hebra region. Sure. And there's glaciers there. I don't see why not. And uh, in the 90s, there was an ice quake and it caused a weird bloop on people's radars. Or when the Hyrule bubble collapses. Oh. I'm sure... <laughs> Oh. That would cause a giant okay. loop. Yeah, that would do it. Okay, yeah. So the next question comes from Gwen on a mission. Did Zelda get back to being a pirate? Because she was a good pirate. Yes. Yes, she does. I mean, that's just canon. Yep. That's canon. She absolutely does. Do we not want to read Raw's question yet? Um, You know what? Let's, uh, let's take this one and save it for a later episode. Okay, we'll save that. For a later episode. Are you going to put that in the document? I do have one more question from an anonymous user. What? Who They did not wish to have their name attached to this question. Okay. So they sent it to me in private. Okay. This comes from anonymous. Is Tetra going from a capable, a badass pirate to a damsel in distress bimbofication? Crystal? Uh-huh. I swear to Christ. No, it's not. Okay. Fair enough. What's your answer to this question? I um I also don't think it is. I I thirdly do not think it is, but it is very you know poor writing. Well, I would say that it is very problematic writing. Problematic, but it, yes. But it's very much doing what they intended. So it's uh, calling it poor writing is difficult for me because even though the effect of it is deeply unpleasant and it reaches an end that I don't think was what they should have gone for. It's also done very um, artfully in how it ties into the themes of the game. Well, I ascribe poor to it because it's problematic. Okay, that's fair, yeah. But yeah, I'd say well done problematic stuff. But no, it's not bimboification. I appreciate Okay, there's your answer, <laughs> anonymous Mysterious user person. who knows who they are. Damn, we doing a call out. For this person whose name we don't know. This individual human. Oh, I, I know who it is. Oh, okay. But And they know who they are. Okay. Uh, Cameron, where can we find you online? You can find me at CamWriter on Twitter. You can find me at Arcane Crystal on Twitter. You can find lots of other podcasts at AudioEntropy.com. What's your favorite podcast, Cameron? Most definitely Let's Place. How about you, Monica? Can I also place Let's Place? Yeah. Okay. As first place. It's scientifically the best of the podcasts. Scientifically. Objectively. Yeah. For me, I'll have to recommend All Along the Watchtower, a DCAU rewatch podcast hosted by Zach and featuring Graham, Mitchell, and Cameron, along with any friends they manage to drag along for the ride. A very different Cameron. Not the same individual. Yeah, not, not this Cameron. A different Cameron. Not Zelda Cameron. You ready to hear a Zelda joke? Yes. Oh, fuck. Why couldn't Spirit track Zelda? go to the party why because she had no body to go with <laughs> oh okay yeah that one actually wasn't that it's funny. true yeah yeah that's that's accurate it's an accurate joke okay join us next time for the wind waker part two <laughs> we go going to dragon roost everybody we'll see you then